Well, the book of Numbers, how many of you have read through the book of Numbers this week? Just be honest, raise your hand, hands around the room. Man, what what an incredible book, right? So it starts off with literally numbers, like counting, like names, and and this person's son. And and how many of you figured out how to pronounce all the names? Raise your hand. I don't think anybody could do that. Uh, Oftentimes what I do is when I'm reading through the first couple of chapters in the book of Numbers is I'll I'll go on like the uh, the uh, version app, the the Bible app, and I'll let the guy read it to me because I have no idea, no clue how to pronounce some of those names. And uh, it's just kind of interesting, so I let it read it to me. And uh, walking through there, so you know, you, you go through the first couple chapters there, and you find out who's in all the different books, and, or all the different tribes, and all the different groups, how many people are there, and they count them, you know, and they list them all off, and, and these are the ones that are going to go out to battle, these are the ones that are going to go to war. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Then you get like up to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 is, is always an interesting book because that's the uh, chapter, because that's the chapter in Numbers chapter 7 where they list off the sacrifices. And if you read that this week, I bet you know now how many uh, silver bowls and how many gold bowls were given and, and how much they weighed. And, and I, you know, I was always interested because at the end of that chapter, it tells the, the, co- the combination of all the gold bowls that they brought. And I think it was like 40 ounces or so um, or that the, the they brought together all the different gold bowls. And all that I could think about is, man, I would love to find those gold bowls. Wouldn't that be cool? Because gold is like $2,000 an ounce right now. So that'd be kind of cool to get all those. And, you know, so we read through some of these things and we honestly do question ourselves. We sit back and we wonder like, what is the value of reading this book? What is it going to do for us? Why is it so important for us to understand and to hear all of these statements and all of these thoughts of, of like, why it is that we got to count the different tribes and, and why do we care that this tribe has 40,000 and this tribe has 70,000? What does it matter? Now, here's what you need to understand of why it matters. It matters because if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. God was speaking to Abraham, and in that moment, he told Abraham that I will make you a great nation, that I will multiply you, that you will be as much as the grains of sand on the seashore, as the stars that are in the sky, that that he would protect Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. And now here we are, many, many years later. Through great trial, through great tribulation, through a season of of being enslaved in Egypt. And now here we are and we're listing off all of these different people. And now God has raised up an army over 600,000 men ready to go to battle. Over 2 million that were part, uh, statistics would show us that over 2 million that are a part of the house of Israel, the children of Israel, the house of Abraham. So why is it important that we have all these numbers and we count all these different people? Because it is once again a reminder of the promise of God and the faithfulness of God that when God says it, you can take it to the bank. That when God says, I will protect you and I will grow you and I will use you, that when God was speaking to Abraham and Abraham was sitting there laughing in the face of God that God was going to give him a child, When Abraham and Sarah doubted the power of God, that here we are all these years later. And in the book of Numbers, what we see is just simply this, is God is good for his word. That you can count on the faithfulness of God. And today, that's what I want to talk about. 
Because as you continue reading through the book of Numbers, you see over and over again, indeed, that there is great truth and great power and, and, and great promise that we have and, and who God is and what God has done. Because as we see through the book of Numbers, while God's done some incredible things, you know what ends up happening with the children of Israel throughout the, the book of Numbers? What we see is we see a people uh, who are impatient and a people who are skeptical, a people who complain about everything. A people who are rebellious. Does that sound familiar? Because here's what I think. I think when I read the book of Numbers and I see over and over and over again how uh, the children of Israel were constantly complaining and fighting and arguing about everything, here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of us. It reminds me of looking in the mirror. It reminds me that the people that we read about thousands of years ago are really no different than the people that we have sitting here right here today, sitting in this room, watching this service. It is a picture, an image, a mirror image of us. When you read through the book of Numbers, we see like in Numbers chapter 11, man, they were starting to complain about the hardship. Now remember now, God has already delivered them from slavery, which was a big deal. God had already walked them out of Egypt which is pretty amazing. And they walked out of Egypt with a lot of silver and a lot of gold, if you go back and, and read that passage in Exodus. God led them across the Red Sea. We, we sang about it a moment ago, that He turned seas into what? Say it. Into highways. That, that God separated the Red Sea, and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, not in mud, not in muck. They didn't have to put on their snow boots to get across. They walked through, they could have walked through barefoot, because it was dry ground. They came across to the other side, and when they did, the waters came back and protected them from the army that was coming to attack them. And so you can see, I mean, God's done some amazing things for the children of Israel, but yet in Numbers chapter 11, you know what you hear? You hear them complaining about all the hardships that they're facing. You keep reading in the passages, you find that in Numbers chapter 11, they're complaining because they don't have any food. In Numbers chapter 12, they're complaining about Moses, the guy who'd been leading them to this point. You keep reading in Numbers chapter uh, 13 and 14, they're, they're, they're complaining about the promised land that God said He was going to take them to. Remember, God said, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a pretty incredible place. And in chapters 13 and 14, they're saying, man, we don't want that land. Let us go back to Egypt. We, we don't want to deal with this. We don't, it's too tough. It's too difficult. You keep reading through the book of Numbers, you see in Numbers chapter 16, they complain about Moses and Aaron again. Keep reading Numbers chapter 20, they're complaining because they don't have any water. In Numbers chapter 21, they're complaining about the fact that they don't have the food and the water that they have. They complained about everything. But it's interesting that as God was preparing them for the journey that was ahead, a journey of victory, a journey of, of peace, and, and a journey of encouragement, and while they were complaining all along the way, the one thing that is always true in the book of Numbers is that God was faithful. And today, that's what I want to talk about out of Numbers chapter 23 and Numbers chapter 24. Now, when we read in this passage in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, it says this, Now, the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. Now, that's an important statement that I want to give you right up front before I read the passages that I'm about to read. And so it says that they were complaining openly about their hardship. They were complaining about all the stuff they were having to deal with. It doesn't matter that they had been delivered from slavery. It didn't matter that they had been delivered from oppression. It didn't matter that God had protect them, protected them across the Red Sea. All of that stuff was long since forgotten. 
And so now they're complaining openly about the hardships. Now, I want to read this passage, Numbers chapter 23, and I want you to read uh, this passage. We're going to read a couple of different verses here, and then I want to help us to see some attributes of God that, that in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering that we all go through, how God is always faithful. Numbers chapter 23, verse 7. It says this, Balaam proclaimed his poem, and Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, put a curse on Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse someone God has not cursed? How can I denounce someone the Lord has not denounced? I see them from the top of rocky cliffs, and I watch them from the hills. There's a people living alone. It does not consider itself among the nations. Who has counted the dust of Jacob or numbered the dust clouds of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright. Let the end of my life be like theirs. So let me just stop right here and kind of explain to you what's going on. Because when you're reading through the book of Numbers, you can interesting places here when you get into the story of Balak and Balaam. And so in this story, Balak was the king. And he wanted, he was worried about Israel who was coming after him. And so he wanted to curse Israel. So he went to find this really wise man named Balaam. And if you read that passage, Balaam came and he, he came to meet with the king and he, he rode his donkey there. And if you're reading through Numbers again and you, you, know, you find a talking donkey, kind of reminds you of Shrek, right? You know, you're expecting to see a green ogre show up in the middle of the story somewhere. And so they finally arrive there. And so Balaam is looking down over the children of Israel. His purpose there, Balak's purpose of having him there was to curse the children of Israel so they would be destroyed. And yet as Balaam looked down over the children of Israel, he could not curse them because he prayed, God, give me the words to say. And all that he could say is this, that they are blessed. He talked about how the, the dust of Israel, that means, the, again, go back to Genesis chapter 12, how that one man, Abraham, had been blessed by God, where now is like the, the, the dust that you find, uh, you know, sitting across the, the, the desert there, the sand across the seashore. They're so wide, so vast. He once again reminds us of the fulfillment of God's promise. Let's jump down a couple of verses in Numbers chapter 23 to verse 17. And it says, so he returned, Balaam returned to Balak while, uh, who was standing there by his burnt offering with the uh, officials of Moab. And Balak asked him, what did the Lord say? And Balaam proclaimed his poem the second time that he was there to proclaim what God had given him about Israel. And Balak, he said, get up and listen. Son of Zippor, pay attention to what I say. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? I have indeed received a command to bless, since he has blessed. I cannot change it. He considers no disaster for Jacob. He sees no trouble for Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and there is rejoicing over the king among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He's like the horns of a wild ox for them. There is no magic curse against Jacob, no divination against Israel. It will now be said about Jacob and Israel, what great things God has done. A people rise up like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion. They will not lie down until they devour the prey and drink the blood of the slain. Now skip over to Numbers chapter 24, verse 5. Third time that Balaam speaks about Israel after Balak pushing him to curse them. He says these words, How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwellings, Israel. They stretch out like the river valleys, like gardens beside a stream, like aloes the Lord has planted, like cedars beside the water. Water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be by abundant water. His king will be greater than Agag. His kingdom will be exalted. God brought him out of Egypt. He's like the horns of a wild <clears throat> ox, excuse me, ox for them. 
He will feed on enemy nations and gnaw their bones. He will strike them with his arrows. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness who dares to rouse him. Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. It's interesting that Balaam was brought there by Balak to curse this army so that Balak would be able to destroy them, to defeat them as they came, and they they moved closer and closer to the promised land. But yet God, in all of the complaining, in all of the rebellion, in all of the slander that they had against Moses and Aaron, and ultimately against God himself, over and over again, all that God could say is that they are blessed. They are beautiful. They're exactly what I intended them to be. And so when we read this passage, here's some attributes of God that I want us to kind of pull out of the book of Numbers, because a lot of times, got to be honest with you, people read through the book of Numbers and they sit back and like, why did I read that? What's the point? And to be honest with you, except for the story of the talking donkey right there in the middle of Numbers, people walk out of the book of Numbers and forget everything that they just read. And so today what I want to give you is some attributes of God that will help you in the midst of your journey. When you're sitting back wondering if God is faithful, wondering if God is going to bring you through, wondering if God is going to deliver on His promises, we can see right here in the midst of all that Israel went through how you can trust God no matter what. And so after reading this passage, here's some attributes that kind of pulled out that I want to give to you, okay? And so the first one is this, regardless of what others might say about you, if God is for you, who can be against you? Regardless of what others might think, regardless of how they criticize you, regardless of how they attack you, it does not matter what the world thinks of you. It does not matter what the world thinks of the body of Christ. If God is with us, if God is for us, no one can be against us. Go back to this passage in Numbers chapter 23, verse 8. How can I curse someone? God is not cursed. How can I denounce someone? God has not, the Lord has not denounced. Listen. You may constantly be under attack by this world. In the midst of your journey of walking and following Christ and and trying to be who God wants you to be, people may come after you, they may attack you, they may make fun of you, they may laugh at you, they may come after you from every angle. And here's what I want you to know, it does not matter because God, when He is with you, when He has called you and you are following after Him, I don't care what the world says, no one can harm you because God is at your side. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says this, what then are we to say about these things, these things that we face, these problems, these trials that we walk through? If God is for us, who is against us? Does that encourage you today? Because I got to be honest with you, we live in a time when our faith and our values and our beliefs are under attack. We live in a time, we live in a day where it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you are known or not known. It doesn't matter whether you are young or whether you are old. If you are a person that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and that He rose again, and that He is the only way to heaven, according to God's Word, make no mistake, you are or will be under attack by the world. Because that is not a message the world wants to hear. That is not an inclusive message. It's not a, hey, let's all hug and love each other message because it's an exclusive message. It's a message that definitely separates people. Because when you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him, let me just put you, that puts you in a very small and a very attacked category. But here's what I want to tell you. Go there anyway. Stand there anyway. Be strong there anyway. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? 
The second thought that I want to give you today, an attribute of God that we can, we can be encouraged by this passage, this book of Numbers, that so often people wonder, what's the point? Here's the thing. Regardless of our disobedience, God can always be trusted. And man, when I, when I thought about that this week, when I, that statement, that thought came to me this week, uh, I was encouraged. Because listen, I'm a pastor. I've been following Christ now for uh, 48 years. I'm somebody who long ago, man, I came to know Christ as a six-year-old, and I've been, you know, walking with God for a long time. And here's what I've learned about myself. There are lots of times I'm disobedient to God. There are lots of times that I blow it. There are lots of times that I mess up. And here's why this encouraged me today. Because regardless of my disobedience, God can always be trusted. Again, go back. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? When Balaam said those words given to him by God, here's what God was saying. I've promised you that I'm going to protect you. I've promised you that I'm going to take care of you. I've promised you that I'm going to deliver you. And I don't care what you, Israel, have done. I don't care how many times you've been rebellious. I don't care how many times you've disobeyed. I don't care how many times you've complained. I will stand by my word. I will take care of you. What a powerful statement. Man, it's encouraging because, listen, I promise you, man, I've blown it so many times. I mean, it, it's not even funny. I mean, if, if, you know, if we could keep a list like every day, how many times we blow it, it would blow our minds like how many times we disappoint God. And here's the cool thing. You can never disappoint God too much. You can never get to the place where you've blown it like one step too far. There is never a line in the sand with God because God loves us that much. And so regardless of our disobedience, God can always be trusted. Even when we stray from God's ideal, which we definitely will, God is still by our side. Sin is a perpetual problem that every single one of us will continue to struggle with for the rest of our lives. But God will never lose his patience. Let's stop right here. Are you encouraged by that? How many of you in this room um, sin? Just raise your hand. Anybody? Everybody raise their hands. And anybody who didn't, you just did. Okay. Because you just lied in church, we get there. So we all sin, right? And so, listen, it doesn't matter that we have sin and we have a sinful nature. It doesn't matter because no matter how many times we blow it, God will never lose his patience with you. So, man, what a cool thing to think about. What a great statement, regardless of our disobedience, that God can always be trusted. Here's another one. Regardless of the ugliness of our actions, God still sees beauty. God will always see you for who he thinks you are, not for who we think we are. There's lots of times we look in the mirror, and we've got to be honest, we don't like what we see. I'm not talking about the way our hair is. I'm not talking about the wrinkles that you know, pop up on our faces. Or, I'm, I'm talking about like looking into our lives. There are lots of times that we look in the mirror, and we look back at what we've done, and we think, man, I've blown it. Man, why would God love me? I am ugly because of my sin. I am ugly because of my actions. I am ugly because of what I've done to disappoint God. God can't love me. But yet we know from this book of Numbers, again, a, num a book that many people lose sight of while it's important, that regardless of the ugliness, ugliness of our actions, God will always see beauty when he looks at us. This passage, Numbers chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. 
talking about Israel. Your dwellings, Israel. They stretch out like river valleys, like gardens beside a stream, like aloes the Lord has planted, like cedars beside the water. Remember, this is a people that God is looking at that had been complaining and had been rebelling and had been arguing and had been fighting and been wanting to go back to the oppression from which God delivered them from. And here's what God saw when he looked at them. Beauty. So when God looks at you, let me just tell you something. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how many times you've messed up. When God looks at you, here's what he sees you. He sees you as a person that he loved and for whom Jesus died. That's what God sees. And it doesn't matter how many times we've messed up. God loves us anyway. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners. I love that still, that word still. You ought to circle that, underline that in your Bible, highlight it. If you read the Bible in your app, you ought to go in and highlight it there and take a screenshot and save it. Because here's what it says. God still loves you even when you're lost in your sin. So regardless of the ugliness of our actions, God always sees beauty. And here's another one. And I love this one too. Regardless of our past, God has always secured our future. Regardless of what yesterday looks like, God has guaranteed tomorrow. Go back to this passage. Numbers chapter 24, verse 7. Water will flow from his buckets and his seed will be abundant water. His king will be greater than Agag and his kingdom will be exalted. God's plan and God's desire for Israel and God's plan and God's desire for you is that he will be always by your side, but more importantly in the scope of eternity, that we will always be by his side. God has promised when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, heaven 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4. Praise the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into, here it is, an inheritance that is imperishable. That means it cannot go bad, uncorrupted. It cannot be destroyed. It is unfading. It will never disappear. It is kept in heaven for you. Because of what Christ has done, when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and that he rose again. I don't care what you do. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how bad things get. God has guaranteed, he has promised, heaven is your future. How cool is that? That it doesn't matter what yesterday looks like because tomorrow is amazing. And today, be encouraged. Because the God of tomorrow is your God now. And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.